Hello and welcome to episode 224 of section 138. Everything's gone to crap for the Blue Jays in a matter of three days. Bryson, Jacob, you're back with us after a couple weeks. Guys, how are you? Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be one of those episodes again, Mark. Um, I guess, well, first of all, both of us clearly were way off with our prediction. You know, Jacob's hey, back. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I was closer than you, though. You were, but at the same time, <laughs> none of us predicted, I guess, to sweep the other way. And because Jacob's back, and we're all happy Jacob's back, and he's the one that believes in jinxes, I guess I'll take fault for reverse jinxing this team this weekend because I predicted a sweep, Jacob. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I will take the fault. And uh, I guess the only good part about this weekend is that you're back with us, and uh, welcome back. I mean, I couldn't have picked a worse series to come back for. Like, you would think that after, how long was I gone? Three weeks, I'd actually want to watch the team, and I did. I watched almost every game, but then I was like, okay, there's no point. Towards the end of that week, or towards the end of the series, I was like, this this is getting sloppy. But I'm happy this team, at least they're still home. They're still at home. They have some, they can rebound against another pretty bad team in the Cubs, but... We'll get into it later. This team, the only thing consistent with them right now is their inconsistencies, and it's likely killing them right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any more perfect set of nine games or ten games to describe what the Toronto Blue Jays have been in 2021. You take six of seven against the Yankees and the Red Sox, including what basically amounted to total domination over the Red Sox over a three-game set, including very two very big extra-inning wins. And then you come in against a team that's 15 to 20 games below 500 and you get swept and you not only get swept, but you only score three runs over the entire series. You have 17 hits. You go one for 19 with runners in scoring position and you only hit one home run. Uh, that pretty much defines the inconsistency of the Blue Jays this season. It's been frustrating to watch. And of course, uh, I guess we can start here. Uh, why are they so inconsistent? <laughs> Like, I don't know if that's a question anyone can answer. Um, obviously not the Blue Jays, because right now um, they obviously don't know how to fix the problems. But uh, this has been a problem all season, and we don't see other teams, at least other good teams, go through stretches like these. So why do the Blue Jays specifically struggle so much to put a consistent product on the field? See, I think one of the things that we need to look at is We knew that this team was going to be offensively driven, and to some extent they are, except not in this series where they scored like three runs in three games. But I think part of the issue here is you're looking at who you have on the field. In terms of your position players, not everybody's healthy. We know Springer's finally back in the outfield. You're looking at Hernandez missing a few games after the foot. but Or even with Kirk, too, I wanted to mention him. He's catching a little bit more than usual because of that DH spot being taken. You have so many good players who can hit the ball like independently they're all really good hitters and you would want them on your team but after seeing this series coming back finally getting to see things and not just listen to it I can see that this team it's almost as if they're trying to do too much and plenty of opportunities today in the in the series finale they had the like two men on multiple times couldn't get a single run out of any of those things they didn't get runs till the later innings of the games but they had many opportunities back when it was only two to one or two nothing or three nothing at that point they have the ability to 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 out hit the team the uh, the opponent. They're just not doing it, and it seems as if they're almost trying to do too much. And even today, you know, you're looking at Springer one for four, Guerrero zero for five, Guriel he's been great in that t- in that three spot two for five. But then Kirk zero for four, Bichette two for or Bichette actually had a good game two for three. But it's the top of your lineup. Or I mean, the, the lineup's been shifted so much now to the point where the guys that you expected to be at the top of your lineup are not even there anymore. Like, Bichette's down in the bottom of the lineup. Matt Chapman had a great start to the summer, kind of cooled off a little bit, but still performing what or the way you'd expect him to. But it's not... The, the offense is not being as good as they've expected it to be. And that's kind of been a thing all season long. Like, yeah, they've been good at times. They're obviously still, I believe, nine games... Uh, over 500 or 10 games over 500 so they're still a good team they're winning games but whenever they're losing games it's because of just this inconsistency in just maybe it's approach they're just they're saying I need to be the guy if it's not if it's not me in the two spot it's nobody but when you realize that you have so many good hitters you can pass the baton and I, I don't think that we're seeing that really with this team right now and then even like the the final score of this game was pretty ugly although or the last game being 8-3, to three, but it was close for almost the entire game. And even Ross Stripling, only three innings, 
or three earned runs over six innings pitched. That's not a bad start by any means. You you take that, you know, and even except for the first game in the series, it was still overall a good pitching performance. And then even on the road trip, the pitching has been a lot more solid, especially the rotation over the last four or five turns through the rotation. Bullpen sort of settled down. It's not it's not costing them games. I don't think it's it's fair to say, but th- this t- they're not scoring runs. I think is what's what's really killing them. And in this series, like you got swept, but you were shut out twice. You can't. And the first game's a little bit of a you, you toss that one in the garbage. You try and forget about that. But still, they're not. It seems as if like you would think that you have all these independent good players that they can just hit the ball string together hits but they're not doing that it's either home run or nothing and unfortunately they got almost nothing out of this entire series and now you're going to I mean you're against another bad team in the Cubs you have the ability to turn things around but the Angels are not a good team either and if you're not able to beat them you're not able to beat bad pitching I think the starter for today's game had like a six something ERA going into the start Cy Young you yeah well okay fair enough but like if you're not able to do that, you're not able to string together hits, string together enough hits to get a run or at least a couple runs. Then I don't know what's really wrong with this team, or if if anything else is wrong. I think that's the the critical thing that's killing them. And you know, like I said, they had many opportunities, not just one guy on base, multiple players on base, and they don't get anything out of it. It's impossible uh, at this point to get a read on this team, and I think. I don't want to say it was this weekend that kind of sold me on that idea because I feel like it's kind of been that this way the entire year, but it just more and more as we see this, for me, it's impossible. And I think for all of us, it's impossible to just have a read on this team because we've had the same conversations all year and it's been the same cycle in terms of I just a cold spell, heating up, a cold spell repeat right when they get hot. And that's after a certain amount of games, for example, after this road trip or their previous road trip through New York and Boston. They heat up, but then there's a game where they just completely fall flat, and then it's like this for another couple games, and then they pick it up again, and then we're just at the same... We're just back to square one, and that's exactly where we are uh, this past weekend. They had a great road trip, like I just mentioned. You have three days here where it doesn't go your way, and it goes ugly. Like you, you were talking about it, Jacob. 20 games below 500. this is no excuse to get swept... Uh, by the LA Angels to score three runs in three games is completely inexcusable. Um, that's that's the first thing. And the second thing is it has been a constant thing this year where it just feels like sometimes they've been playing down to their opponent as well when they're playing teams like this. So as much as the schedule looks good, and it, of course it does on paper, it's just reasons for these cold spells, reasons for the inconsistencies still has, I guess, a little bit of, you know, just... I guess, question in the back of my head about this. So, like, we know about the the talent they have. We know what they're capable of. We saw it. We've, we've recorded when they've had their hot spells. Literally, our last episode, we were recapping the road trip about what they were playing, about how they were playing. Coming into this weekend, we all, Mark, you and I felt so good about this weekend. And now we're, we're back over here. So, it's just for me, um, there's just the little things, obviously, this weekend, I thought as well, were pretty much one of the deciding factors. Uh, if you want to start off on the Friday game, I understand that they came back from Boston really late. I believe uh, they said on the broadcast they got back, it was around 4 o'clock in the morning, something like that, or it was maybe a little bit beforehand. I understand you're tired. I understand that's the case. That Friday game was inexcusable. I'm sorry. Even despite all the facts that I just mentioned, you saw it coming about the result of Friday in the first inning. You saw it coming right away in terms of just the little things. You know, you hate to point out uh, certain players, but I guess certain plays I'm going to point out, which is the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. bobble at first base where he leaps up and then he kind of just drops the ball in the motion. I don't know if he was just trying to be too energetic because maybe they were just exhausted and he was trying to get every, you know, just... Just try to get going in any sort of way. There was the miscue when he stole second base because he beat the throw. He did, but he came off the bag. There was another miscue there. And from there, just the little things from there on out. Teoscar Hernandez is another one. And this is, a, I guess, something that has been on my mind even throughout the last part of the road trip. I didn't want to mention it um, at our last episode, Mark, because I thought, you know, like it was it was a really good road trip. You don't want to kind of point, pinpoint the negativity. But unfortunately, that's the way it goes when things aren't going well. For me, he's looked disinterested throughout the last part of that series in Boston and throughout this series alone. 
Another thing I understand is that he's been fouling a ball off his foot, but that Shohei Otani triple was almost inexcusable as well for him to kind of just let the ball drop off the fence in terms of just assuming the ball's going to go over the fence. Look what happens when he lets the ball drop like that. There's another play. Mitch White, unfortunately, was tagged with all the runs. I think it was seven run runs that he was tagged about. It was seven run runs. That start's not on him. I'm sorry. It, it's not. I understand that maybe he wasn't pitching a sharp either, but when you have little things going on behind you like that, when you're letting Shohei Otani triple on a fly ball that should have been easily caught before the wall, that's the stuff that's going to come back to bite you no matter who you're playing. And, of course, the Saturday game as well. You have the 1992 celebration. You figure maybe a little bit more energy. Of course, we were treated with a good pitcher's duel between Shohei Otani and Alec Manoa. And, of course, as I understand as well, they put up zero runs and it was Shohei Otani. But you just didn't see anything from them in terms of the offense. It was flat. And, of course, the game today as well in Game 3, more miscues. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez is another example. There was a play where he was running to second base on a play that Whit Merrifield hit up the middle. If Teoscar Hernandez was hustling right off the, uh, pretty much when Whit Merrifield hit the ball, he likely would have beaten that throw to the second base, and Whit Merrifield was going to beat the throw to first base. Another rally killer. Not exactly the reason for them losing today uh, because of all the base runners that they let on this week. Mark, you mentioned it right before Jacob started speaking about the runners in scoring position. They had so many stranded runners on base, double plays left, right, and center. Every time there was a runner on base this weekend, there was no confidence for me whatsoever. I think the first thing I thought of was, when's the double play coming? Who's going to hit into the double play? And that's exactly what we saw this weekend. And that has been the frustrating part of this season alone is that there's times where we are that we are this slow about the team, but then there's also times where we're all excited and we feel like this is finally the breakthrough that they're getting. It is we're stuck in a cycle and it's going to be like this the rest of the way. There's only so many there's only so many number of games that you can say give them time before they get going. You get to a certain point in the season where that's just who you are. We might have been at this point a while ago. It was just for us, it was hard to admit. For me, I think we're at this point right now. It is a season of inconsistency, and you have to hope to get hot at the right time. And it is enough in terms of, I guess, just the length of it. And this weekend alone, inexcusable, and you got to hope they bounce back this week against the Cubs. One thing I do also want to mention real quick, this team looks disinterested at, like as a whole right now. Like You saw at the end of this game, or the entire game, the first play of the game, a ground ball to Bo Bichette, we know his defense is it's about as shaky as the mindbuster at Canada's Wonderland but even towards the end of the game you're seeing a play I can't remember who was throwing it it might have been Bichette I think it was threw the ball to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first base it's in his glove and then it just shakes out and you even heard it I'm sure everybody at the game and on the broadcast heard it there were boos coming from the entire field and I've uh... I know I'm a fan of the other Toronto teams, and you hear boos for them a lot, but that's one of the first few times I've like legitimately heard boos for this group, uh, this era of Blue Jays. And there's going to be a lot of meetings, I think, coming in the next 24 hours or even the next 12 hours, I'm sure, or even already have happened because, unfortunately, I think the team now feels like, oh, Jesus, we just got swept by a terrible team and things are not looking good. Can thing is, there are 36 games left after or going into the next game against the Cubs. You were just saying how they need time to, or what? when will they get that time to see, okay, this is what the team is. They figured it out or let them figure it out. You don't have time to figure it out. That wild card race is tight. You need to have your stuff figured out like now. And it, it the team, it doesn't look like it's in a good place. And I mean, we could be the complete opposite in three days after a sweep against the Cubs, but it's not going to work. Like th- this team cannot con- consistently be so inconsistent. Glad to have you back, Jacob. Within the first 15 minutes, we got a comparison to the Leafs and a crazy analogy that made no sense. We missed you. Good to have you back on the pod. Uh, yeah, both of you sound really frustrated. I don't know if I'm How that can you be? frustrated. Maybe it's just because I've already come to terms with the fact that this team is never going to consistently win and never going to consistently lose. Like I think I said at the end of the last podcast, the highs are never as high as they look and the lows are never as low as they look. Uh, And that's certainly the case with the Blue Jays. You can go on a six and one stretch. You can win nine of 10 like they did earlier this year, a couple months ago, or I guess a couple weeks ago at this point. And then you can go on to play terribly. Like it's just the nature of this team. And, 
to answer the question of why it's happening, I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. You know, you ask us two months ago, and maybe the answer to that is Charlie Montoyo. Charlie Montoyo is no longer on the team. Now it's John Schneider. And I mean, he is trying his best to avoid these inconsistencies. There was a quote that was interesting from him after today's game. He said, quote, look at the standings and understand that every game is important. Three hours out of your day needs to be completely focused on trying to win. That's the goal moving forward. Um, I think the fact that he's even saying something like that indicates to me, and we were talking a little bit about this before the podcast, but that there is some level of lack of energy going on behind the scenes. And whether it's just Teo, whether it's Bo, as you mentioned, um, Jacob, like that's what that quote tells me. And I hate to read into it that way because I don't know. I always assume that players on the field are giving it their all. Like, especially with the guys that the Jays have. I Even with Teo, like, I really don't think he's phoning it in on purpose. And I get watching it. It can be frustrating to see him, you know, in the series at Boston, the ball skip under his glove and right field, and that almost cost the Blue Jays in the ninth inning or going back to the triple yesterday with Shohei Otani at the plate. Like, it can be incredibly frustrating to watch that, but... I have to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's just dealing with something in his left foot right now. He's fouled two balls off it in the past week. So I I don't know. I don't want to criticize the energy level that these guys are giving because give them the benefit of the doubt. I think they're trying, but maybe it is a case of them trying too hard. Maybe it's a case of the dog days of summer getting to them. Who knows? I just, it's it's baffling to watch this team day in and day out, be so inconsistent and really have no answer for it. And I guess this is a theory I have. I don't know how much I believe it as opposed to, you know, even other people believing it. But um, we talked about this a little bit before the season started about the Blue Jays trying to get kind of a, we were talking about with the left-handed bat and trying to get a veteran guy on the team. And I know one name that I had brought up was Steven Vogt because he was on the free agent market. Um, and this is something that came up at the trade deadline as well when Charlie Montoyo was fired, was there is really no veteran voice in this clubhouse. Like, yes, there's George Springer, but he's not the kind of, you know, I'll use the Marcus Simeon comparison. He's not a Marcus Simeon. Like, yeah, he puts work in, he does this stuff, but he's like, I don't know if goofy is the right word, but he's like lighthearted. He likes to play around. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. I think there's a place for that on the team. But you look at some of the other veterans, like Kevin Gosman seems quiet and not really, um, you know, leading the team in the clubhouse. And Alec Manoa is young. And it, it just strikes me that they don't have an older guy in the clubhouse to kind of fill in the role that Marcus Simeon did, um, be kind of that counterbalance on the seesaw of yeah let's have some fun down on the far end of the dugout in the barrio and let's you know laugh and enjoy playing a game because that's what it comes down to but at the same time let's take it seriously and try to have a level of consistency here so I wonder if that's the factor that the Blue Jays are missing again I don't know if I fully believe it or convinced of it regardless but that's one of the theories that I've had for a little bit kind of going back to when Charlie Montoya was fired as to I think they're kind of missing that veteran voice right now. And I think it'll be interesting this offseason to see if they pursue someone like that. It's a good point. I mean, we know we've seen this pretty much the last couple seasons, but especially since they came to Toronto, this is a very fun team. It's a team that loves to enjoy what's going on. But at some point you have to realize that this is your job. You do need to go out and win games. And I don't know. Part of me doesn't want to believe that, that they're not taking it seriously, but or at least that they don't have that one guy to kind of reel them back in if somebody notices that that's not the case. But I'm not sure. I feel like if anybody could do that, it would be John Schneider. And I, I know it's a little different, a manager versus a player. It's it's very different, but I don't know. He seems more of a stern type of guy. He, like kind of, I, I feel like he and Montoyo complimented each other. He was more of the, the stern guy where Montoyo was more of the lighthearted manager. But I don't know. I it's I, I think the fact that we're even having this conversation is it just shows just how absolutely abysmal the season's been for the team and right now like I think last season was see here's the thing like 
we can call the players young and say that, oh, well, they haven't had a full season or a lot of these guys haven't done this and they haven't had full postseason runs, but they did this last year. They know what to expect. They know how to win. I think the onus should be even on some of the veterans, if you will, in quotations, like the Guerreros, the guys who have been here a little bit longer, not not crazy long. And I mean, him even played half a season 2019, half a season 2020. He hasn't been here a lot, but I think at some point, even the younger players need to understand that, yeah, we need to kind of step things up here. We can't always be joking around. We can't always, and I hate to say this, but you can't always be having fun. You do also need to be serious. And I don't know, maybe maybe what they need is just to, I think, I don't know if they've had this in a while, but one of those players-only meetings or something like that where no media, no no anything. It's just the players sitting there talking and I don't know. It's the fact that none of us truly have the answer is it's just it's showing that the team's not really meeting the expectations. But let's just hope that these conversations that are being expectedly held over the next little while up until tomorrow's game are enough because you're kind of running out of time. And I mentioned this earlier, only 36 games left. You do not have the time to figure your to figure things out and say, okay, well, we need to see how this series goes or just get on the road or get home and whatever. Like, no, you need to win games right now. Yankees are kind of in that little pickle as well. They're not winning, you know, the the lead in the divisions, I think like half of what it used to be, but you're easily going to lose that wild card or worst case, lose the, the home field advantage in the wild card if you don't turn things around. And I'm hoping that Maybe somebody's able to step up and say, "Yeah, I know I'm not the oldest guy in the clubhouse, but we need to to we need to turn the ship around." I just want to clarify. I'm not saying like the Blue Jays need to have stop having fun. I love how much fun they have on the field and in the dugout and the clubhouse. I don't want that limited at all. I'm just saying like I think they might be missing that counterbalance that was Marcus Simeon. No, yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. And you see the other half of it too when things aren't going well, like this weekend. Uh, there, were, you saw tons of frustrations from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think he was the one who definitely showed a lot of frustration, and you just see both sides of it. And Mark, it is a good point that you make because I don't think we really talk about that enough in terms of the loss of somebody like Marcus Simeon. Like as much as we acknowledge that he obviously moved on, nobody like I, I just feel like it hasn't been something that we've talked about enough in terms of perhaps maybe you know they miss him more than we think behind the scenes. Bobashek could be a prime example. We understand that they were really close, obviously, and played beside each other all year. And you look at a guy like Bobashek, who has been up and down pretty much like the team with his offense. His defense has been pretty much up and down as well. You know, he's making a lot of errors this year. The last time I checked, I believe he was second in the league, only behind uh, Javier Baez, who had even more errors than him, which shouldn't surprise anybody. But Bobashek's another guy who's been struggling. I know one of our Patreon supporters, Erock, uh, sent us a question. And I know, Mark, you went back and forth with him a bit. And he was asking also, and this has been a question that a lot of people have asked. We've also had a conversation about this on the podcast. I think we had it last year at some point about, can he really play shortstop long-term? And, you know, a lot of us have kind of stuck to it saying he can. Uh, He's improved as much as he still makes miscues here and there. But there's still doubt from a lot of people about that. And I'm sure he's the one that's definitely misses somebody like Simeon a lot. But it just shows the ups and downs that this team overall has had in a guy like Bobachet who hasn't been playing well uh, this year compared to what we've seen last year. So he's one out of many other people. Uh, it's an interesting quote that John Schneider did make, though, about that. And you do wonder because I mentioned it. I don't know. If, of course, I don't think he's trying to do it in terms of somebody like Teoscar Hernandez. But it just when you look at it from TV, it just feels like he's been disinterested the last handful of games and Perhaps that foot's really bothering him. Again, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes in terms of it's a mental thing, if it's his foot, and it's kind of holding him back. A lot of people bringing up the conversation that if his foot is truly hurting him that much, why is he in the lineup? And I think that was a question also that Joe Siddle brought up today because he was another one when that play happened on today on the Sunday game with running to second base. He was the one that did seem pretty frustrated as well uh, when they kind of cut to Blue Jay Central right after that inning ended and kind of just showed how it, it was inexcusable and it was another way that the Jays costed runs. And Mark, you talked about it even before um, you started talking right at the beginning how you weren't as frustrated as Jacob and I and perhaps you're the smart one uh, in terms of, you know, just coming in terms of the expectations. But, you know, it just feels like majority of us and clearly today Jacob and I included um, – 
the frustration's high because of the certain reasons. I'm not going to go over everything again because, again, we've had the same kind of cycle all year around because we know what they can do when they're good, and we know how bad it gets when it's at a level like this, and we know how quickly it also can change. Again, you go back to this episode or last episode, you come to this episode, and you can just feel the difference of the team. That's why the frustration for me is there. Uh, you also mentioned it, Jacob. The Yankees continue to kind of be average. The fact that as much as they have made up a lot of games, if the team was consistent, they'd be making up even more than what they have been. They could easily be, and this is not a hot take, they can easily be within five games right now if they cleaned up their act, if they were more consistent. You look at this weekend, you basically lose the three games that you had on Boston last week in terms of the sweep. The Seattle Mariners are now past you. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, I believe, are a game or two ahead of you now in the wild card race. The Baltimore Orioles have gotten closer. This is kind of going to be a neck-and-neck thing. We, un- we understand what the rest of the way looks like in terms of the wild card race. I understand you can also make the argument that the division race is over. For these reasons of being inconsistent, I think I've moved past the division now at this point. And for me, even, you know, I don't want to go full-on panic attack here, but for me... The top wildcard spot for me was always the priority in terms of this is what they're going to do. This is what they have to get. Of course, that's still there for me. But at this point, because of the ups and downs and because I'm still trying to adapt or just come to the realization like you have, Mark, I have, I'm not there yet. I don't know why. It's just me being over. I just, you know, being over passionate with it and just being frustrated for me at this point, no matter what wildcard spot it is, get in hope for the best, and hope in those three games, best two out of three games, they're at the point where they play really good baseball because we've seen it, we haven't seen it. That's where I'm at right now. I think even the next time they get hot, I don't want to get over, I don't want to fool myself because, of course, we all know that's going to happen again. We all know they're due for a hot streak. It's going to happen. It's been happening all year. And the question now is how much longer until that happens. And hopefully, again, it's this series against the Cubs, but it was definitely interesting to hear somebody like John Schneider bring up, you know, just being interested and, you know, being committed for those three hours because a team like the Seattle Mariners, they're doing it. A team like the Tampa Bay Rays, they're doing it. That's another team this weekend where if the Jays played well against the Angels, you win two out of three or you sweep, you gain a couple games on the Rays after the Red Sox took two out of three from them. So you just see these little things happening, especially with the other teams uh, playing in this wildcard race. And the fact that you can't take more advantage of it than you are, that's just what makes it frustrating for me. So that's where we're at, and um, we'll see. But it's just, in terms of that, in terms of the up-and-down season, that's basically what's been happening. And uh, it's just, especially to a team 20 games below 500, it hurts. It hurts to do that in your home field. It hurts to put up three, three runs in a series. But we understand... They are going to get hot again. Our moods are going to change again. <laughs> that's just the way it's been this season. <laughs> and I, like I said, you got to hope it happens at the right time, and that's going to be in October at this point if they get in, which it still seems good, but you never know. <laughs> this may be a hot take. And I may be talking nonsense, but I'm going to say it anyways because it's sports talk. Um, the Blue Jays might be better off in the third wild card spot Ooh. than the first or the Ooh. second. And hear me out. I know it means that they're not hosting a wild card series, but it means at least the way things shake out right now, they're playing in the third wild card spot. They're playing the winner of the American League Central. And right now that's the Cleveland Guardians who are 67 and 59. And I think everyone would admit that they are a worse team than either the Seattle Mariners or the Tampa Bay Rays, who right now are ahead of the Blue Jays in the wildcard standing. So yes, you're on the road for those three games at Progressive Field, which, to be fair, is not that far from Toronto, so could work out in the Blue Jays' favor. But I'd almost rather them play Cleveland in a three-game set, even if it is on the road, than play Tampa Bay or Seattle in a three-game set. Although Seattle, I think, could be fun just because of the if it is hosted at T-Mobile Park because of the home field advantage, Western Rogers Center, that type of thing. But to be honest, I think there's a case to be made where the Blue Jays are better off in the third wildcard spot than the second or first. What do you guys think? It's actually a good point. I mean, I like it. I mean, Cleveland's obviously not as good as the other teams that they would play. Uh, At this point, I mean... 
I, it's tough. I think the Blue Jays. I think they have the ability to beat any team, but at the same time, they also have the ability to beat themselves. And we've seen that over the last three games, and we've seen it all season long. And if you're talking specifically matchups, I think that does make a lot more sense. And it would suck to not host it. I mean, you you guaranteed unless you win that series, do not host a single playoff game. But wouldn't be a bad option. I think it, it would be. I, I think seeing Cleveland would be a bit of a better option. Although the one thing that we do need to worry about right now, surprisingly, is the Baltimore Orioles. I think you guys have mentioned that in my absence, but the the Orioles are kind of, <laughs> they're kind of taking the Blue Jays and they're giving them a little bit of a scare right now. And this division, well, the division specifically, but also the wild card, just the entire American league is just extremely tight. And you're at that point where you, it's going to be a game of, like, I guarantee you there's going to be half a game separating teams in the playoffs for seeding. And every, at this point, every single game counts. And I think if you're looking for matchups yeah it's it's a it's very unpredictable in terms of wild card if you're first or second you have no idea who you're going to play at this point but if you're third it makes or, or you have an idea I shouldn't say that but if you're third it makes a lot more sense to play Cleveland and kind of prepare for that yeah I'm not saying the Jays should purposely lose games so they hold on to that third wild card I'm just saying like there's a silver lining in it and the thing is, too, there's no game 163 this year if there's a tie. It goes based off of head-to-head. We know the Mariners have that on the Jays because of the sweep that they had during that disastrous road trip. And, of course, the Jays still got to play the Rays. So there's still meaningful games down the line. And, look, I, I, I completely understand your point. And, of course, like you were saying, it's not like they're trying to get to third. Of course, the idea of hosting the wildcard series is pretty appealing in terms of having the home field advantage giving obviously us three the opportunity to go along with many other people like just watching playoff games alone are a blast to watch going back to the the days from 2015-2016 but it's just for me I I don't know again this is a personal preference thing and this is just the way I've been thinking is that I've been fixated on that first spot but because of how close it is because of how unpredictable really this team is in terms of performance I've decided to open up and be open more to the idea of, at this point, getting in. And even if you're the second team, we know that you got to go on the road to the first team. And if you're a third team, perhaps you do match, you know, well against a team like Cleveland or a team like uh, the Minnesota Twins. We know that, you know, it's hard for me to say, look, the Jays didn't play Cleveland well this year or they didn't play Minnesota well this year because guess what? When they played those two teams, or at least recently, the Jays were on their downswing in terms of their low level of play. What's going to happen if they play on their their peak of their play? You got to give them a chance. When their team when this team's playing at the peak of their level, they can beat any team. And that's the thing that adds on to the frustration. So, even if you want to look at the season matchup in terms of how they did against the Twins, how they did against the Guardians, you have to realize that when this team is playing bad, they lose to anybody. And you saw it with the LA Angels, and unfortunately for me, it definitely gives me a little bit more of an optimistic look in terms of yeah if if they if they can catch fire at the right time there's no reason why they can't beat the Cleveland Guardians there's no reason why they can they can't beat the Minnesota Twins I'm fine with that honestly as well so we'll see what happens with that and we know that the Central is going back and forth because basically the East and the West are pretty much locked up in terms of the Astros and the Yankees getting the bye week or sorry the bye uh this the bye series I'm used to saying it in football terms um the the Central's not and that's why you know, a team that can also be streaky is a team like the Minnesota Twins. Honestly, they've been a team that can go up and down as well. The Guardians have kind of been up and down as well, but over the course of, I guess, just the last month is when they really turned it on. I know over the last 10, though, they've kind of slowed down a bit going back to 5-5, five and five. so they're in a neck-and-neck fight with the Minnesota Twins with that one. So perhaps you feel more comfortable playing a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, first of all, if you're not the first seed and you're playing the Tampa Bay Rays, no, no chance. Uh, there's no chance that you feel comfortable going to Tropicana Field. And we saw that in 2020. We've seen that pretty much in all the franchise's existence. When they play there, you have no optimism in terms of them winning a series. You know, would you rather play those two teams as well rather than going to Seattle? But again, the home field in Seattle, you see what I mean? It's very tricky to just say what you rather have. But Mark, I do think you make a good point, And I understand what you're trying to say about if they come third, it's not exactly the end of the world because, hey, perhaps they, ma- they match up better like against a team like Cleveland or a team like Minnesota. I see what you're saying. And um, at this point, hopefully, and at this point again, 
I don't care who it is, get in. As long as you're not playing the Tampa Bay Rays in Tropicana Field. Yeah. Yeah, that's the worst case scenario. But to be fair, like what you say, like to some extent, I don't think it matters who the Blue Jays are playing. It just matters how hot they are. Because as we've seen this season, time in and time out, if they're hot, they'll beat any team on the face of the planet, no matter how good it is. And basically to say it's the Blue Jays, when they're hot, they're the best team on the face of the planet. But when they're cold, they will lose to anyone and everyone. So yeah, I think... To some extent, it doesn't matter who they're playing. It just matters how hot they are when they go into the playoffs, if they go into the playoffs. But I think there is a silver lining if they come in third. So um, obviously not what you want to plan to do. It'd be great to get home field advantage and be able to play um, in front of the home field crowd at the Rogers Center and, of course, gain a little edge in terms of vaccination status and perhaps other teams losing players that are unavailable. You know, for example, if Seattle is coming to the Rogers Center to play. They're not going to be able to have Robbie Ray start game one or two. Um, you know, if Tampa Bay is coming to the Rogers Center, they're going to be missing some of their relievers, I think, if I remember correctly, from the, the when they came up earlier this season. So there is a benefit to it. There, There's bits and pieces you can pick from wherever the Blue Jays end up that could be a benefit either way. So um, it'll be interesting to see, and certainly we're not counting on the playoffs yet because it's still very much up in the air. Um while we're talking about the Seattle Mariners, I do want to bring up Julio Rodriguez. Um, he signed a contract extension this past week. That is the talk of the baseball world, uh, mostly because it has the potential to be the biggest contract in American North American pro sports history. I think it's $470 million is what it can get up to. Of course, it's a weird contract structure. I think it's only $210 million guaranteed. Um, there's a bunch of team options, a player option, and escalators, depending on where he ends at MVP voting and all that sort of stuff. But bottom line, Julio Rodriguez, Seattle Mariners, signed an extension. I think this is interesting when we talk about the Blue Jays because there has been seemingly a trend the past few years. Um, you know, look at Fernando Tatis Jr. ignoring the quality of whatever the deal looks like right now. The Padres signed him to a deal when he just came up to the majors, Julio Rodriguez. He has, I think it's something like 430 major league at-bats, and he's already got $210 million guaranteed for the rest of his career. So, the question is, I know we're running out of time here, and I know this is a big question to ask, but did the Blue Jays miss the boat in extending Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Because they have, at this point, waited until they're entering arbitration. Is that too late to offer these guys contract extensions? Or are the Blue Jays being smart and just waiting to know what they have? Like, we don't know how the Julio Rodriguez deal is going to end up. We have a general idea of how the Fernando Tatis Jr. deal is going, and we don't know how it's going to end up. But obviously, you look at the motorcycle crashes, you look at the PED stuff. Like, that deal so far has gone very badly for the Padres. So there's two different sides of this that you can look at. Should the Blue Jays have made an effort to extend Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette before they became the players that they are today? Or is the front office being smart by waiting and learning a little bit more about what they have on their hands before they commit hundreds of millions of dollars towards these players? And again, we don't have much time. This is a big question, but... Yeah, I'll try to keep this quick. I actually think it's it's a good idea what they're doing right now. Just hold on. Just wait. I would rather sign one or both of them to like a seven or eight year deal in a year or two than a 14 year deal three or four years ago. I think it's a little too early, I think. And it's solely from the, I mean, you, you run into the situation of say Guerrero, say you tried to extend him after, after last season, you're easily paying him, I don't know, 35, 40 plus million a season. Obviously he's not performing to the same extent this season, but you still have him on your team no matter what. But I think it's it makes sense to see what you have. Go through four, five at most of those six years that you have of team control, and then you extend him or you do something with him. Because, you know, we talked about Bobochet a little bit earlier. I've heard a lot of rumblings. Now, this, this is completely speculation. Nothing is official, but I'm starting to hear a lot of people say this that maybe he's not the shortstop of the future for the Blue Jays I don't know how much I buy this but all I'm getting into is you it makes sense to have as much information on these players as you can before you go out and extend them for and not even an extended period of time like a decade or longer like that's a lot but 
I would like to see both of them back, or get 100% one of them. I'm not going to say which one I'd prefer, but I would like to see both of them back. Uh, but it it makes sense uh, what they're doing. And realistically, it's not just Guerrero, it's not just Bichette. You do have other players that you're going to have to deal with in the next couple of seasons too. So I like what they're doing right now. If 2023, 24, we still don't have any news or any type of any type of extension for them, whether it's 14 years or five or six or seven, then I'll start to be a little bit concerned. But I'm not, uh, e- e- with even without hindsight, right now I can say that what they're doing is the right move. And I'm sure that there are conversations and I'm sure there are things going on and there's planning right now. But going out and saying, here's 15 years, three, $400 million right now when you're, when you're just barely 20 years old or barely into your 20s, to me that doesn't really make sense. Jacob with the scoop in terms of what he's heard from rumblings. <laughs> I like that. I like reporter Jacob. But it honestly, I, I kind of I agree with you, Jacob, in terms of I think they've waited long enough or they've waited, you know, they've taken their time to do it and they've waited because you want to look at a prime example. This is a guy who's been pretty much slammed by everybody. And I guess I'll join the train because I completely agree with what they've been saying is Fernando Tatis Jr. When you show immaturity like he has, and when you have shown taking substances and essentially lying about taking it, pretty much what people believe. And it's kind of hard to disagree with that because that's usually what happens when you test positive for a PED. That's what happens in terms of the state of a contract And when you look at it, it's hard for you to commit that much. And you said it right now, that contract with Fernando Tatis Jr. looks, it looks ugly. And the the damage that he's done on his reputation, his career, it's something that, you know, hopefully he can recover from. But at a young age, he's done a lot of damage. I think recently Adidas dropped him in a sponsorship. So that's example number one where you don't, it doesn't look good. Example number two, though. I will say, is a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Alex Anthopoulos committed to him when he was young, and you're pretty much paying him, I believe it's $12.5 million a season through 2026. For a guy with that value, that's pretty good. I know he's coming back from a torn ACL, and his power still hasn't exactly caught up to him, but you still like the feeling of the way that contract's looking and the rest of the way. So those are the pros and cons of it, because if you sign him early, you might be able to save some money, and if you wait, the value could go up, and I think for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the best thing that he did, or at least, um, I don't know if he was offered anything, but the fact that he's waited probably has helped him because of the slow start that he had. I will say this, and this will definitely be, I have a feeling that we're going to start seeing stuff in terms of reports and stuff in the offseason. I will say this, I think this offseason it's time to do it with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'll say that with you guys. I think it could be a conversation. I just It feels like rumblings are starting. And I think for me, on a wish list or a bucket list for an offseason, I know there's a lot to improve with this team no matter how good they do this year. Extending Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I think something it's time for me, or I think it's time for them to commit to. With Bo Bichette, I don't know either. I know, Jacob, you had your rumblings that you've heard, and I think Buster (laughs) only actually went on TSN 1050 this week, and he said if he was the Jays, maybe now's the time to explore the trade market for Bo Bichette. I'm not saying I agree with them. I don't know how committed or how much they'd want to commit to Bobochet right now in terms of long term. I don't know. But for me, I can wait with Bo, but with Laddie, I think this offseason, I think they should get something going. And you see it. You've seen young guys get paid. I mentioned Acuna, no matter what you think of Tatis, he got signed early. Julio Rodriguez is a guy that has less than a year of service time, and he already got committed to for basically, like you said, no matter how complicated it is, he's going to be a Seattle Mariner for a really long time. And the fact that these guys, these young guys are getting paid, you know, you wonder if Vladdy is getting urgent with it. I don't know. I know that he said um, this probably going to be an offseason thing and he doesn't isn't a guy that handles it. So I don't know how much of a say he has during the season. It definitely was shocking that this was pretty much agreed to during the season with Julio Rodriguez. It kind of came out of nowhere. Like you said, Mark, it kind of it was just a random Jeff Passon tweet that came out of just came out of the blue. So We'll see what happens, but I guess that's not a hot take for me. I don't think it's a hot take at all, but I think it's something for me on a wish list this offseason where we have our offseason t- conversations where we have nothing to talk about. I think that's something that I would like to get done, and I know I feel like it's just going to – this offseason is going to be the start of when we hear stuff about extensions with Vladdy. I think I think we're getting close to it. Let me just say, if Bobochet leaves this team right after I get his jersey, I'm never buying another jersey because every time but you I said you one, heard rumblings. The, so why would you buy the jersey? Okay, well, yeah, you knew you know more than we do because I bought this before. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving well, on. Well, 
Bryson, I agree with you <laughs> that this is the time to sign Vladdy. And I think my reasoning is different than yours, but this isn't a good season for him. This is a bad season. And to Jacob's point, if you sign him at the, after the end of last season, you're paying 14 years, 35, 40 million dollars a year um, versus this season. You, I think you could, I, I think we all understand that this is not what Vladdy is. Vladdy is going to be a lot better than this over the course of his career. We saw it last year. And if you pay him this off season and give him a long-term extension, you might get a little bit of a discount just because of his most recent performance. So I think for that reason, it's time to sign Vladdy just because we all know or think we know he's going to be a lot better than he is right now. You hopefully can get a little bit of a hometown discount. Now it runs the other way. Um, Vladdy might not want to sign after this season because it's not as great a season. He knows the team that signs him to an extension is going to get a little bit of a discount. Um, so it runs both ways. With Bobachet, I don't think it's time to extend him because, you know, to what we were just talking about, you don't know what he is. Um, maybe he is the Bobachet where he hits. 300 in a season and has consistent defense and is that kind of magnetic personality that can carry a franchise or maybe it's what we saw this year where he's pretty average or maybe it's what we saw in 2020 where when he's on the field he's great but he misses half the season with injury so I don't think the Blue Jays know what he is yet so I think it's too early to um talk about extending him but with Vladdy I think this offseason is as good a time as ever to do it if you are going to do it as a franchise because obviously it's a big decision and maybe the Blue Jays don't want to become that big market team that commits all that money to one player so maybe that's not the approach they take moving forward but if they are going to do that this offseason is the time to do it um, okay one more thing to mention before we wrap it up the Blue Jays with the 1992 reunion um quite the day at the ballpark obviously the game didn't go as the Blue Jays planned but you got the reunion on the field you've got George Springer making his return to center field you have Alec Manoa and Shohei Otani in the matchup of the century on the mound and on the plate for Shohei Otani um incredible incredible game didn't go as the Blue Jays way the reunion was awesome want to see more stuff like that with the Blue Jays I think um you know, just visiting ballparks around Major League Baseball, the way teams celebrate their history is very cool. And I think the Blue Jays should do more of that. And um, they should create a statue ASAP of Joe Carter's walk-off home run, 1993, and Jose Bautista's bat flip home run. Um, those are the only two things I want from this management. Win a World Series or not, I want a statue of Joe Carter and Jose Bautista. Um but yes, love to see the organization celebrating their past, and it was an awesome half hour to enjoy before the game and reminisce about good times in the Blue Jays' history. And of course, watching those games on Sportsnet. None of us were around to watch those games live, but watching the replays was a lot of fun on Sportsnet. So we'll wrap it up there on the one positive that we have from this series. Uh, three games against the Chicago Cubs. We've talked about it a little bit. The matchup is going to be the matchup to watch is going to be Stroman versus Gosman. Um, Series predictions from you guys. Okay, I'm, I, so I've missed quite a few series predictions. I don't know. I might be a little rusty. Normally, my predictions are not far off, but... They're pretty wrong, usually. Well, who predicted the sweep in the last I told you, anyway. I reverse sinks the team. Anyway, right <laughs> you got Barrios, Gosman, Mitch White. I don't know. Cubs Cubs are a bad team. Like They're the same as the Angels, so... I'm. I think two out of three. If Blue Jays winning two out of three is best case scenario, I'd I'd love a sweep, but I, they're lucky if they take two. So the Cubs have Javier Isad. I hope I pronounced that right. Pitching tomorrow. Never heard of him, which means he's likely going to be Cy Young tomorrow because of basically the way the Jays offense likes to do that to people you've never heard of. However, I know they've been playing bad. Can they be this bad for another three games? There's no chance. They, I feel like they're going to get back on the hot streak at some point this um, series. Tuesday game, I'm happy that I'm going to be in attendance to watch Marcus Stroman and Kevin Gosman. That's going to be really good. Wednesday, you said, yeah, Mitch White. The Cubs don't even have a listed starter. Jacob, I know I said you're pretty... I think this is a good one for me. I'm going to take two out of three as well. You got to get back. You have to get going at some point. Um, and first of all, on Monday, I didn't even mention it. You got Jose Barrios. 
You like what you've been seeing from him lately as well. It feels like he's turned it around. We know that usually he pitches well at home. I'm very confident with Barrios, Gosman, back-to-back Monday, Tuesday, two out of three. I agree with you. And it will be fun to see Mark's favorite pitcher, Marcus Stroman, back in the ballpark on Tuesday. <laughs> Never say that again, please. Um, I'll go one of three. Wow. Ooh. When the Blue Jays suck, they suck. And it's usually not just one series. Usually it's a couple series in a row where things go bad for Toronto. So one of three. Uh, I hope that one win is the Gosman-Stroman start because I cannot bear to see Stroman <laughs> win a game against his former team. Um, I hope he gets booed. I never hope any player – okay, I hope some players <laughs> get booed, and Marcus Stroman is one of them. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh, but we'll wrap it up there. Thanks to everyone who listened. As always, you can support our podcast by going to patreon.com slash section138pod. You can follow us on social media at section138pod. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that, three games against the Cubs. We'll catch you next time.